Hello, and welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late Ella Manuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. Here, El Emanuel tells a story about a young Slovene who was forever getting into trouble. He was the lumber camp trickster. When I was 13 years old, I went to work in the lumber camps near Bond Bay. We were pretty hard up them years, fishing being bad and lobstering worse, and there was no money into it. So me being the oldest, father got me a job as cookie in Mr. Humber's woods camp. Mother didn't much like it because she wanted me to stay home here in Baker's Brook to help her, but father said we wanted money worse than anything. Besides, he said Mr. Humber was a good Christian man, and that made mother feel better about me going all that far away. She went to work to get my clothes bag ready and knit me three pairs of socks, a couple pair of vamps, and two pair of long drawers and shirts, all with the wool off our own sheep. Oh, did that stuff ever itch. But they used to say with homespun clothes that when you're cold and wet, you're still warm and dry because you took it all off, wrung the water off it and put it on again, and in no time, t'was like being in front of a warm stove. I got a pair of largans too and a Mackinac jacket, all red and green plaid. Some nice. I was that excited about my fit-out, I almost forgot what t'was for, until the time came to leave, and I got on Mr. Humber's sled behind his team, and I damn near cried. Father came out the back door and told Mr. Humber, and I minds his very words, Only thing, my young nipper is right idle sometimes, and he can think up some awful tricks. And then he said to me, mind I acted proper all the time and do me work well. And we were off and away. First going off, we drove up the track to Norris Point, all through the woods. And then we came to a house and stopped for a mug up. And I was some glad because me two feet were like lumps of ice by then. Mr. Umber took me into a house and told him I was his new cook. Cook, if you please, and me not much higher than the table. Everyone laughed at that. But I didn't give them any heed, me and me new boots and coat. We sat to the table and had some warm bread with molasses, sugar, and cream, as much as I could eat. What? You never heard tell of that? Well, I must say it's hard come by now, what with molasses and cardboard boxes and milk and tins. Oh, so you want me to tell you how it tasted and not get on with me yarn? Well, molasses sugar was what was stuck to the insides of the puncheon after molasses was drawn off, and it was all brown and sticky and some sweet. And the cream came off of the milk when you put it in a big bowl and stood it over a pot of hot water on the stove for an hour or more. The cream comes to the top, all thick and yellow around the edges, and there's nothing in the world, I don't care what you named it, tastes so good. You slops the molasses sugar on the warm bread just out of the oven, and you piles the cream on top, and you got a feast. I hope you live long enough to taste some. Anyhow, we crossed the ice and went up the main arm of Bon Bay and took to the land again by Lomond. I have to tell you that going up the arm was something wonderful. Ice all slippery like glass, and the horse trotting and the bells on his collar jingling, and the sun shining. I never seen a better day since. 
When we took to the woods along the trail to the camp, we went up and down, and the trees got bigger and bigger. I missed the stuff we fellers were used to around home, tuckbush and stargans, and now all this big spruce and var and birch. Some sight. I don't think I ever saw stars so bright in me whole life as they were that night when we pulled into the camp around ten o'clock. I bundled into the warm cookhouse, starved and frozen. "'Twas like coming home, twas that cozy. "'Now Mr. Humber's camp was a good piece in the woods from Bombay Big Pond, "'and twas a big one with four log bunkhouses where the men slept "'and a cookhouse where the men ate and I did me work. "'At the end of the cookhouse was a room they called the Four Peak, "'after a sailing vessel, I suppose, "'and in there I had me bunk with a mattress and a warm quilt, "'and by the bed I had a little box to keep me lamp and me Bible and whatever.' and all around me were the stores and the books and papers Mr. Humber had to keep. The camp was on a flat place on the side of a hill, and it was a good-sized brook to hand for our water, for us and for the horses. Oh, I forgot to tell you, there was a great big barn, too. Well, I knowed a little about cooking, being the oldest in the family, and I often had to help when Mother was feeling bad and when my baby sister come along. There was no law in our house that said boys couldn't learn to cook, and a good thing that was for me, because I never had a time in me life when I was stuck for grub, and that's more than I can say for a lot of men. Of course, most of my job in the camp was helping to cook, peeling vegetables, washing up, and tending to the men. So altogether, I was interested in me job, and I worked hard. I dare say Mr. Humber thought my father was making it up when he said I was idle. It wasn't bad for a while. I was busy, but when I got the hang of everything, I got a bit like wanting some excitement. I was hanging around the barn one nice day with nothing much to do when I seen some rackets lined up on the outside of the bunkhouse. I strolled over, and before I knew what I was doing, I had double reef knots tied in the leather harness of one pair. It looked so nice, I had to do a few more. I never thought that the leather thongs were wet, and when they dried, what a job someone was going to have getting the knots out. They would need to cut them apart. I just slunk away, not even looking back. Funny thing, you know, nobody said a word about that. I suppose they were trying to figure out which Slavine done it, never thinking a nice youngster like me, so polite and obliging, would do such a thing. So I got away with that one. It was a good long time before me hands were idle enough for the devil to get at them, and this time I added a little touch of tar to the molasses jar. And when the pancakes were spoiled, they knew twas me for sure. Mr. Humber gave me the biggest kind of a tongue-banging and said I ought to pray to Lard to make me less wicked. I promised I would, but it didn't do no good. I was there so long and got used to everything that I had to have some excitement or I'd go bust. So I put salt in the sugar dish. That didn't amount to much, but it did give me a bad name, and Mr. Humber said right stern that one more trick and out I'd go. Well, I wasn't fussy about doing that, considering I was supposed to be helping out me family with me wages, so I decided to knock off entirely. By now, twas midwinter, lots of snow and frost and good going. Every Saturday after dinner, most of the men would leave to spend the night home, if it wasn't too far. Mr. Humber, he always went to his sister's in Deer Lake and got back Monday around dinner time. The cook always went home with him, and so that left me to make the best hand I could for the men who bided in camp. 
Well, I can tell you those were some long days looking out to myself and a few hands. Come one Sunday, when there was only George, Jim, and me left in the camp, I cooked a good dinner, and when we were done eating, the men went over to the bunkhouse for a nap. I washed up and put away me dishes and went out to the bunkhouse, too. I never had one thing on me mind. Jim and George were asleep, so I thought I'd put some wood in the stove to keep it going, because it was awful cold outside, and then I had a lovely idea. I put me mitt on me hand, homespun mitt, you understand, all soft from being wet so much. I lifted the stove lid and smeared my mitt all over the bottom of it. You know what happened then. You don't? Well, that comes of not having a stove in your house burning wood for months. It gets full of soot, lovely, greasy, soft, black soot. So I crept over to Jim and put me mitt onto his face and sort of rubbed. He never stirred. Then I crept over to George and done the same thing to his face. He snorted, and I thought he was going to wake up, but he turned over and began to snore. I crept out the door and wiped the peephole on the window through the frost, and I waited. I almost froze before Jim woke up. He stretched and put his feet on the floor, and then he looked over to George and burst out laughing. Of course, George woke up, then he looked at Jim, and he also burst out laughing. Now then, I had them both with dirty faces and not a looking glass in the place. All of a sudden, Jim bawled out, What are you laughing at? And George said Jim should see his own face. His mug was blacker than a devil's boot. Jim rubbed his face, looked at his hand, and sang out, Oh, my lard, well, me son, me face might be black as the devil's boot, but yours is blacker than the hobs of hell. So then George rubbed his hand over his own face and looked at Jim and said, that young Angershore, wait till I get a hold of him. George was mad, all right, but Jim told him to leave me by because he hadn't had such a good laugh for a long spell. George swore the big one. No, siree, I'm going to tell the boss. This camp's not big enough for that young Slevine and me. Now I was scared. Supposing Mr. Humber sent me home, what would I do then with me mother needing me wages? Anyhow, next day, nobody said one word nor the day after, and I was beginning to think I was safe. I even thought up a few more good, dirty tricks. And then the day came when the cook was feeling bad, so when he finished putting the pastry in the pie plates and filling them with dried apples, he told me to roll out the rest of the dough and put the top crusts while he had a spell. I was working away when in come George to get a pair of dry mitts, he said. He looked hard at me but I went on with me work rolling out the dough, and then I put the tops on the pies and put them in the oven, thinking all the time how nice they'd taste after the good stew we had cooking on the stove. The men came in and sat to table, and I served them. Mr. Humber finished his stew first and cut himself a big slice of pie. He took a bite, and just as I was passing him his tea, he yelled out a big yell, "'Cook!' He said, what in the name of goodness did you put in that pie? The cook's face got right red and he glared at me. I told him I never did nothing to them pies, only put the crust on them. And then I remembered something. I thought you would put in an awful lot of nutmeg on the top of that filling, I told the cook. Nutmeg, he roared. I never used no nutmeg. And then he took a bite of that pie. That's pepper, you young brat. 
Well, it was no good me saying I didn't do it because nobody will believe me anymore. Mr. Humber told me right in front of all the men to pack me gear and get out with the team first thing next morning and never show me face in his camp again. I went to the Four Peak and by and by he comes in. I begged and begged him to let me stay, but I guess his patience was all used up. I didn't sleep much that night thinking about mother and wondering how she would get along without me pay and feeling awful guilty too and wishing the devil wasn't always watching for idle hands like they say he does when morning came i got into the sled as desperate as any youngster could be and then who should come out of the cookhouse door but mr humber he said to me now me son get off that team and get back to work me mouth came open, and I couldn't say one word. I couldn't even move. So he grabbed me by the sleeve and hoisted me off the sled and pushed me into the cookhouse. George told me the story all about the dirty faces, he laughed. Well, he paid you back by putting pepper in the pies, and he didn't mean to get you into all this trouble, only to teach you a lesson. And when he saw things were getting serious for you, he came and told me and asked me to take you back. That's the very words Mr. Humber said to me. I was that proud not to have to go home that I promised not ever again to play a dirty trick. And I stuck to that promise. At least in that lumber camp. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late El Emanuel from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the Voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmoor National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, these and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week to hear Ella recall winters in the Bay of Exploits when there were boats and bears on ice. <laughs>